Good morning, Hope Church. So good to have you guys here this morning. Welcome. We are in week five of a message series that we are calling In the Fire, based on the book of Daniel. And we've been going through kind of chapter by chapter, exploring what God is speaking to us today through over 2,000 years ago in a historical event that took place, meaning the siege of Jerusalem and the capture of God's chosen people, Israel, where they were taken back to Babylon to serve under an evil king, under an evil empire, and how that affected them in their faith. And I believe, which is a great parallel to what we're seeing happening even in our culture today, how although we aren't captive to it, that we could easily succumb to the temptations to follow the things of this world and to get up, caught up in a culture that would try to pull us away from our faith and the things of God. And so we are in today going to look at Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5. We're going to combine that together. But before we dive into that, I want to just take a moment to welcome all of our family in Hope Eureka, in Eureka, Montana. We love you guys. We're so glad you're joining us today. Also, all of you who are watching online, and we realize that there are many of you that don't feel safe yet to come to the church, and we honor that. So glad and for technology, aren't you, that allows us to be able to watch church and participate in church and be a part of our church family, even if you're joining us online. So we welcome you as well. Now, during this crazy season, I just have felt a burden as a local pastor to take time out of our service uh, 60 seconds to pray for our nation, to pray for the church in America um, and all over the world. And so that's something the Bible calls corporate prayer. And that's any time that um, we pray together collectively as we gather to worship. So what we're going to do for the next 60 seconds is you're going to participate in this with me. It's not just Pastor Lance praying, it's you praying with me. And so we're going to take 60 seconds and we're going to pray for our nation and then we're going to dive into the word and I believe God has something specific that he wants to speak to you today and do in your heart today. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that this nation was founded on in God we trust. And God, I want to pray just like in 1 Chronicles seven fourteen. God, we humble ourselves. And even though, God, we may not be responsible for uh, turning away our hearts from you, God, we stand in the gap for our country today. And we call on your name, and we humble ourselves and pray, and we seek your face, and we ask you to forgive us, God. Forgive our nation from turning its back to you. God, forgive our nation for aborting babies. And God, forgive our nation, God, for um, putting other gods before you. And I pray that you would forgive us and heal our land. Jesus, we ask, God, that you would bring revival back to this great nation. God, I pray for every single church all over this nation, all over the world. God, that you would awaken your church to what you want to do. God, I pray that you would awaken your church to usher in revival in this season. God, I pray for every single pastor, every single leader. God, I pray for the churches in this valley. God, I pray that revival would start here and it would start now and it would begin with us. I pray for every single church, every single pastor in this valley, God. I pray that you bless them, that you would pour out your spirit upon them. And Father God, we lift up our, our president to you. We pray for President Trump and Vice President Pence. God, we pray that you would protect them, that you would give them strength, that you would make them courageous to stand up for what is right. God, I pray for godly counsel to surround them. And God, I pray for the wisdom of heaven to be imparted to them as they lead our country during this time. 
And God, I pray more than anything that you would lead us back into your arms, that we would once again put you on the throne of this country in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. So good. Now I want to pray for you and pray for me. Father, I thank you for every single person here and those that are watching online. God, we know that every time that we gather, that you are here, you are with us right now in the middle of our worship. And so, Father God, I pray for every single heart. I want you to do this. I want you to put your hand on your heart. Father, I pray for every single person. God, I pray that you would speak to them. God, I pray that you would challenge them. God, I pray that you would convict them in areas that they need to be convicted. And Father, most of all, I pray that you would change them. God, don't let any one of us leave here the same that we came in. But God, let your word accomplish its will in our life this morning. Father, as we get into your word and as we're reminded of the warnings that are in the Bible, God, I pray today that we would be awakened to the warnings for our own heart, that we would cover it, that we would care for it, just like your word says, with all diligence. And so, Father God, I pray now for me. God, I give you this message. I pray and I give you full permission, Holy Spirit. I'm your mouthpiece. I pray, Father God, that this would not be just a message, but God, it would be the life-changing power that we need in our life today in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. All right, let's turn to Daniel chapter 5. We are going to pick up the story covering really two chapters. I pieced chapter 4 and chapter 5 in the book of Daniel really um, have the same overall theme. They are a warning to um, two kings that were serving Babylon at the time and how God used Daniel to speak into their lives to bring a warning from God that, by the way, they did not listen to and the destruction that not only came to their lives personally, but came and had a ripple effect on all of their country, which I believe is a, a good warning to you and me today. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you've recognized this in your own life. There's something that the Bible talks about that says the sins of the fathers and mothers will be passed down from generation to gen generation. And I believe there's something spiritually important there that we have to understand. How many of you ever saw something in your father or your mother or your grandparents' lives that you said, ooh, that's ugly. I don't like that. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want a part of that. In fact, for many of us who grew up in broken homes and experienced some of the challenges from broken people, many of us have grown up said, I never will be like my father. I'll never be like my mother. And in, in those instances, it is because we recognize that there's something in them that should serve as a warning to us that that has the potential to happen to us as well. And I believe that's exactly what happens here in Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5, that we're going to see uh, history repeat itself, so to speak. Whereas the father, King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, has this dream that freaks him out so bad. He wakes up in the middle of the night and he can't go back to sleep because he's so freaked out by this dream. And he calls all his astrologers and, and things of the world. Just like when we have something that freaks us out, our tendency is to turn to the things of this world to try to find comfort, to try to find answers. But King Nebuchadnezzar, after nobody can interpret the dream, he remembered there's a man named Daniel who has the Spirit of God on him, and he has been used by God before. Maybe he can help me again. 
And so Daniel comes and he interprets the dream. And the dream is not good news for King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, it is, it is a warning to him. And in this dream, he sees this huge tree with branches that spread over the earth. And birds would come and feed on the tree and give shade to it. And then he sees an angel of the Lord come and speak to the tree and command it to be cut down. And it's cut down almost to the root, but it leaves a stump there. It says he was going to be driven into the wilderness for a period of seven years. He was going to go mad, lose his mind, and he was going to live like an animal until he acknowledged that God was the Lord of heaven and earth. And he refused to do it. In fact, the Bible says 12 months later, a year after this warning, he doesn't listen to the warning, but he's walking around on his rooftop at night looking over his palace and all the beauty of Babylon, and he says to himself, look at all I've created. Look at all that I have made for the glory of myself in Babylon. He was getting a little bit too full of himself. And in that moment, the Spirit of God spoke to him, and immediately what the dream said would happen, happened to him. He was driven away. He went mad for a period of seven years. Now fast forward to chapter 5. Nebuchadnezzar's own son is now serving on the throne of Babylon, and he saw and witnessed everything that his father went through, no doubt. Now, most of the people in the country wouldn't have known exactly what happened to the king. You're going to keep stuff like that hush-hush. And it's easy to keep it behind closed doors and keep it in the closet. But your own son saw and knew exactly what happened to his father. He had a front row seat to watch what happened. And you would think that he would learn from the mistakes of his father. And instead of learning from those mistakes and watching his life play out in destruction, here he is in the beginning of chapter 5, having a feast and a party with his friends. And they're drinking and dancing and singing and having a good time. And he has this thought. He's like, hey, why don't we go into the articles that we stole out of Israel, the sacred articles, the holy things that we took and captured when we captured Israel? Why don't we take the sacred golden goblets out and why don't we fill them with wine and drink to our gods and propose a toast to our gods because look at how great they are and look at how puny God is. And in that moment, in fact, this is interesting, it's the first time ever that we hear of, whether in the Bible or in history, where somebody was so freaked out, so terrified, so filled with fear that their knees actually knocked together. Because he saw this hand writing on the wall. And he would call on, just like his father did, he would, when his wife reminded him, there's this man named Daniel who has the very spirit of God in, in him, and he can tell you what this means. And as he tells him what this means, it's another warning. He says, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting and your kingdom will be taken from you. And in that moment, God pronounced judgment on him and allowed his kingdom to fall to Persia. And so we're going to pick up the story where Daniel comes to King Belshazzar and reminds him of exactly what happened to his father. And I believe there's some keys in this scripture, the passage of scripture, that we're going to read together out of Daniel chapter 5, verses 20 through 10, 23, that are the keys for you and I today, learning and not having to make the same mistakes on our own, 
so that we can learn from this too for what Scripture says. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 5, verse 20 through 23. It says this about King Belshazzar. But when his heart, this is actually, I'm sorry, about King Nebuchadnezzar to King Belshazzar, his son. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride. Now I have that underlined in my Bible. That is a key word, hardened with pride. This is exactly what pride will do and arrogance will do in your life, in my life. It will harden your heart. It will make you become a hard person. Hard person to love, hard person to be around, hard to have relationship with, hard to do life with, hard to enjoy life because your heart becomes hard. He was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. And he was driven away. Here's something else you want to underline in your Bible. Two things that happened besides him losing his mind. He was driven away from people. Pride will always drive you away from people. It will drive you away from God and it will drive you away from the closest people in your life. And he was given the mind of an animal. Now I think that's an interesting thing to say. But it goes back to speaking of every single one of us. One of our greatest enemies that we have is this thing that the Bible calls our flesh. That's basically who we were before we met God. It's our old life. It's the life that is the flesh part of us, the human part of us, that is drawn to the things of this world. It's our five senses. It's all those things that are drawn to the things of this world and would want to draw us away from God in our life. He was driven away from people and he became like an animal. That's exactly what pride will do. Pride will feed your flesh. Pride will give you permission to say, people owe me something. I owe myself something. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 15 through 17, I believe it is, it says, it gives us a warning to say, this is what's going to happen in the end times. People will become lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure. They'll, they'll become conceited, proud, boastful, and they won't care about the things of God. And it says something so that should be a warning to us and wake us up. This isn't people outside of the church. He was actually speaking to people, warning Timothy for people inside the church. He said they'll have a form of godliness. Oh, come on. Man, if that doesn't wake us up, that we've got a form of godliness, but, but is it possible that that form, it says, but it denying the power thereof. Is it possible that we can create our own godliness by relying on our own self-discipline? how much we pray, how much we fast, how many times I come to church, that I can look down on people and even look down on people outside these four walls and say, well, I know the world is going to hell, but hey, I'm going to heaven. I got my stuff together. And we could look at Democrats and we could look at Libertarians and we could look at Republicans and we could point fingers. But the reality is all of us need God. And we could get self-righteous people to the point that we forget that for many of us, there was a time where we didn't know God, that we didn't do this, that our sins weren't forgiven and that our lives were severely broken and we were miserable and we were unhappy and our life didn't have meaning or purpose. And so we could easily get into this thing called pride that feeds our flesh and makes us feel like, we, I got rights 
And he goes on to say this. He was driven away from people, given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys, ate the grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. Until, and this is key. You want to underline this too. It's a key word. Until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. And now he addresses Belshazzar personally, and he says this, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. There's another key word, humbled yourself. Though you knew all this. That's why we could sit in church and we could say, oh, you know, he's, he's talking on pride. Pastor, I'm speaking on pride this morning. I don't need that. In fact, you know, let's get real about this. How many of you struggle with pride? If you didn't raise your hand, or yeah, then you struggle with pride. It was a trick question. <laughs> Got you, suckers. I think all of us struggle with pride in one form or another, and that's part of the problem. We always think, oh, man, and some of you thinking right now, man, I wish my husband was here to hear this message. I got to send him through. Maybe you struggle with a little bit of pride because it's always about somebody else, and it's never about me. And Daniel saying to him, hey, listen, wake up. You haven't humbled yourself. And instead, check this out. In verse 23, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Do you realize that every time we fall into pride, we're actually opposing what God wants to do in your life and in my life? Because James said it clear. He said, I'm sorry, Peter said it clear. He said, God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I need more grace in my life. If we're going to experience the grace, which is the supernatural empowerment of God, getting something that we don't deserve. In fact, um, even Paul said, man, I, I am weak. I have these weaknesses in my life. I have these flaws in my life. Maybe for Paul, even one of them was pride. He said, but your grace is sufficient for me. Because it is in my weakness that I'm actually made strong. This is what we don't understand. We think if we can be strong, if we can, you know, be self-sufficient. I mean, think about how much of what we do in everyday life is to create self-sufficiency. So we don't need other people and we don't need God. Think about that. Is it really so bad to be dependent on other people? Is it really so bad to have a dependency on God that I wake up every day and say, God, I need you more today than I did yesterday? And that we could be like the John the Baptist that says, he is greater, he needs to become greater and greater and I need to become less and less. And every time that we posture ourselves in a place where, God, I don't need you, we're essentially putting our arm out like this and God, said, the word says he opposes us. He doesn't oppose us because he wants to punish us. He opposes us because he says, if you don't want to yield to me, I'll let you live life on your own terms. And here's the problem with that. Every time we do that, it leads to destruction. So he goes on to say, you had the goblets from the temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank from them. And listen to this. You praise the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see and cannot hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. I love that. I'm going to say that one more time. 
but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. And because of it, destruction came to his life and came to the country that he was leading and serving. The title of my message is Self-Destruction. Self-Destruction. I don't know about you, but when I look at all the times where my life is blown up, I run into problems, I hit the wall, hit challenges, it usually wasn't because of other people. It was usually, if I traced it back, it came back to bad decisions that I made on my own, myself, me, myself, and I. Self-imploding, self-destruction. This is exactly what pride will do in your life and do in my life. It will destroy you. Look at Proverbs 16, 18. I think it says it so perfectly. It says, pride goes before what? Pride goes before what? And a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride always leads to us destroying our life. And you see, I love, I love that God loves us enough that he gives us this thing called free will, that he gives us a choice in the matter. Um, Anne Rice has a great quote. She says this. She said, pride is the parent of destruction. Pride eats the mind and the heart and the soul alive. In fact, I believe that pride, you ever heard of the term silent killer? It's a medical term. Um, it can be used in two ways. It can be used for strokes or heart attacks. Now, when I read that scripture about Nebuchadnezzar becoming arrogant and his heart got hardened. I believe this is exactly the way pride works in our life. Just like when I asked you to raise your hand, none of us think we're prideful, but it is this silent killer that if we allow to get in our heart and allow our minds to entertain the thoughts that come along with pride, over time, our heart gets a little bit more hardened and a little bit more hardened and we don't even recognize it until we fall, until we destroy a relationship, until we destroy a marriage, until we hurt somebody, until we hurt ourselves. And too many people's lives have gotten wrecked on the shore of the ship called pride. And I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for me. And we can learn some things, and today, I believe the Spirit of God not only wants to set us free. I love what, what Marty said during our time of worship. And I actually felt like it today as I was praying over these chairs before you all got here this morning. I was praying and I felt the Spirit of God say, today's a day of breakthrough. And then Marty got up and said, you know, that today is your, is it release day? Release date. Today's your release date. And I believe that, that some of us, see, what we have to understand is that God allow any time that we get into a place where we start building our life for ourselves, God, and we remove ourselves out from God's hand and covering in our life. Protection, his blessing, his input in our life that we so desperately need. In fact, there's a scripture that says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he can lift you up in due time. But what pride does, it says, eh, I don't like your hand on me. This is uncomfortable. I don't like your ways. I prefer my ways instead. In fact, this thing called pride, the root of it goes all the way back even before um, Adam and Eve in the garden. It actually goes into Isaiah where it gives the account of how Satan fell. Jesus said himself, I saw Satan fall like lightning. 
He was destroyed just like that. Why? Because it said, as soon as he said in my heart, I want to be like the most high God. There's five I statements. It all came about him. Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. And then, so he got cast to earth. And so his lone mission on this planet is he's like, my life is destroyed. I'm going to try to take as many people with me. I'm going to try to get them to believe that they don't need God. God isn't for you. Look, he would never let you get caught up in Babylon and, and taken there and made to serve this wicked king if he was actually a good God, which is just what he wants to tell you and me, that why would God allow your marriage to get broke? Why would he allow you to go through this addiction? Why would he allow your son or your daughter to be experiencing that? Why, 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 why? And we wonder, does God really care? Does he love me? And who's in control here anyway? It goes back to Genesis. In the garden, the enemy came to Eve and said, God knows that if you eat off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what? You will become like him. And what was appealing to her was, you mean I could become my own God? I can become the God of me. And in biting the apple, her eyes were open to good and evil. See, this is exactly what we want. And if you look at culture and what's happening today, people want to say what is good and what is evil. I want to make my own decisions. I want to be able to say what is good. I don't care what the Bible says. If I want to do this, I call it good. God loves me. He's the God of love. So this has got to be good. And we start making our own decisions about what is really good and what is really evil, what is right and what is wrong. And we set ourselves up just like our society is setting itself up. Anytime you take God out of the equation, I'm appalled at the Democratic Convention. Sorry, just got to say it. When you start taking one nation under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, there's a problem. When you start removing God out of this nation... You take yourself out from under the hand of mighty God and you become vulnerable. And I think right now we are vulnerable. The, the word Babylon, actually one of the meanings of Babylon is confusion. And we see in our society people confused. What's right? What's wrong? What's real? What isn't? You look at the news today, you can't even tell what's true, what's real, and what isn't. And look at this. In Genesis 11:4, it said they were building this tower. They thought they could reach to heaven. So they said, come, let us build us or ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven so that we may make a name for who? Ourselves. It became all about them. They wanted to be their own God. And so God confused their language. And ever since then, people have been confused about who is really God. And we start putting the God of me on the throne. You've heard of the Messiah complex, right? In 1964, <clears throat> there was this psychiatrist named Dr. Milton um, Rokich, and he was trying to help these three guys. He actually wrote a book about it called The Three Christ of LaPlancy. Le <laughs> Let's try to say that three times fast. It's a city in Michigan. And um, he was meeting with these three guys who were dealing with a psychological condition called delusions of grandeur. Actually, each of these three men believed they were Jesus Christ. Like, they really believed it. Not like, you know, they thought they were God. They actually believed that they were the son of God. And so this psychiatrist thought he could help these guys out. And so what he, what he thought would help them was, let's get them together in a group counseling setting and 
let them share with one another why they think they are Jesus Christ. And while they're listening to each other talk, they'll, maybe the light bulb will go on and they'll think, man, he's really nuts. How do, what is this guy thinking? And so that was his theory, that if I could just get him talking, that the light bulb would go on, they would realize they're not Jesus Christ, and I could help them. And so in this group therapy session, you could imagine the kind of sessions they'd have. They had one of them where three of them in there, and Dr. Milton uh, asked them, he says, so tell me, why do you believe that you are the Son of God? And he says, well, it's simple. God told me I am. He told me I'm the Savior of the world. Another one pipes up, no, 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 he jumps up. Every That's not true, I never said that. And then the other one jumps up and says, no, 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 I never said that either. And they get into this argument right there about who told them that he was the Son of God. They got a little bit loco in their mind. They were confused about who God was. Can I tell you something? There is one God and you are not him. And I'm not either. And I'm grateful for that. But let me tell you the root of this. Let me show you exactly where this begins because I believe as the silent killer, this becomes little by little. We don't recognize it. Just like some of us, we don't think we're prideful. Let me ask you a question. When you look at a picture, who's the first person you look at in the picture? It ain't your daughter. It ain't your dog Fluffy. It ain't your husband. Girlfriend, it's you. <laughs> You're looking at it. And you know what? The picture's good if you look good in it, Right? I mean, come on, let's just be real. So really quickly, we can go and start worshiping the God of me, and we don't even realize it, and slowly it will lead us to destruction. And here's where it starts. Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and what? Prosperous. Contented and prosperous. If you look at any downfall to any civilization, any person, if you look at how their life blew up, if you look at your own life, when you've gotten in trouble, it isn't in times where you're in trouble. Actually, this is the problem. For many of us, we wait to seek God until we have a problem. But when we are contented and when life is good, we got plenty of money in the bag, good job, got nice things, everybody's doing well, I've got my health. We kick back just like King Nebuchadnezzar where we put our feet up and we say, ah, oh, life is good. And we forget God has a plan, God has a purpose, and God is God and I'm not him and I need to be serving something greater than myself. I wasn't made to just kick back and just enjoy life. That God's got something bigger for ourselves. So every time, I'll tell you what, you are in most danger when life is good. Because it's in those times, right? It, it's not when you get the phone call, you've got cancer. It's not when one of your kids are missing or they're out at a party till two in the morning and you're waiting at home for them. You do a lot of praying then. It's not till when your marriage is on the rocks and you hit your knees in prayer. See, I think the problem is we approach seeking God when we need him and he becomes a last resort instead of our first response. And in doing so, we put ourselves before God. So how do we do this? How do we break the spirit? Because I believe it is a spirit. It's that, it goes along with that Babylonian spirit. It's a spirit of pride. How do we break that spirit of pride and independence in our life? How do we do what the word says? How do we humble ourselves? I believe there's three things that we can glean from this scripture that we need to do. And the first one is this. You need to acknowledge that heaven rules. You need to acknowledge. Now that word acknowledge is an interesting word. It, it's the word yada 
in the Hebrew. It means to know something, to intimately know something by experience and understanding. This is exactly why God will allow things into your life to humble you and me. This is what I believe exactly what happened with Israel. They turned from God. They were prosperous. They got contented and they started turning to other gods and God allowed it and he warned them in a prophecy, but they didn't listen to the warning and so he allowed them to get taken captive. And then we can learn from Daniel and his friends that you could be held captive by your circumstances. In other words, you can be surrounded by unpleasant circumstances in your life, but it's not as important as what is trying to, like we sang today, the chains that are holding you on the outside as the chains that are holding you and binding you on the inside. And so God is trying to show us that even though you may be in some circumstances that you don't like, that you could be free on the inside, just like Daniel and his friends, that you could still stand in faith, believing and trusting in God. And even though they went through the fire, and even though as we're gonna see that Daniel went into the lion's den, that they didn't get touched or harmed, they actually prospered. Why? Because their soul prospered. That your soul can actually prosper when you remain under the hand of God. He's saying, I got you. You just need to acknowledge that heaven rules. It's not my rules. It's not my ways. They're your ways. And I acknowledge that by recognizing even in the bad times in my life, Romans 8, 28, for I know it's that same word, I know, I acknowledge. I know that in all things, God works together for good. Those who love him and those who are called according to a purpose. That's why you gotta understand. When he said, you have been weighed on the scales and found lacking, wanting. What would you say your life is right now? If God had to weigh your life on the scales, would it be lacking? What do you say? You're living life too much for yourself. You're not living enough for my purposes in your life. That's why we do things like have a, have a team, uh, ministry team expo right after service. You're going you're gonna to get an opportunity to get outside yourself and do something for somebody else, serve in an area of ministry in the church. That's part of what we do here. We do this because just like Paul admonished us, he said, he said don't, don't be so caught up in yourself. Don't don't be in vanity and vain conceit, thinking more highly of yourself than you should, but in humility, think of others better than you. Look to the interest of other people, not just to your own interests. And you gotta do that by humbling yourself, by recognizing that it's not my rules, it's God's rules. What does that mean? That means that God is in control. He's sovereign. He gave us his rules. He gave us his rules in his word. That if I want to know God's ways, his rules, I just look to his word. It's all in there. It's all in there. Look at Daniel 4.26. The command to leave the stump of the tree. I love that. I love that he left the stump. Some of you, you're looking at your life and all you see is a stump. And you need to know that when you put heaven's ways and heaven's rules above your rules and you come back under the mighty hand of God, God will raise you back up. That stump isn't cut. That part of your life, it's been cut off. But just like in John 15, when Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Now you can do a lot of things in this life, but I'll tell you, they won't mean a whole lot according to heaven's rules. According to the earth's rules and this world's rules, they'll mean something. But according to heaven's rules, until we submit to God's ways, his purposes, that's when God can restore you. He can make something beautiful grow out of a beat down, cut down stump. He says, the command to leave the stump of the tree of the roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you. What? When you acknowledge that heaven rules. You don't rule. So right now, in any situation, and I know many of you, you have many different walks that you're in in life right now. You're in many different situations. God's in control. Can I tell you something? This is worth the price of admission. God is in control. He's sovereign. Whatever your situation, God is in control. Heaven rules. Your boss doesn't rule. The things that are coming against you, they don't rule. Heaven rules. And when we submit to him, it says this. Uh, this is about his father. When he was driven away from people. See, every time I want my way, it's going to drive you away from people. Just like one time <laughs> I was telling my wife last night, I'm like, baby, you know when you start it like that, you want something, baby. <laughs> baby, you remember a time when we got into a fight and maybe... I was a little bit prideful, and that's why we got into a fight. I'm like, I know it's going to be hard. Maybe just think about that for, you know, overnight or so and get back to me in a couple days. We figured it out. For me, I remembered a time right away. It was actually one of our worst fights because here's what. When I need it to be my rules, I'm always right. And by the way, if, you know, this pride can actually mask itself in insecurity. When you get defensive and when... Um, you're more worried about what other people think about you and see about you, the root of that is actually insecurity. It's actually a form of pride. And it could be uh, false humility also. And we can let that go in our life. And that says, I'm right, you're wrong. Perfectionism is rooted in pride. I have to be right all the time. You can't see me looking bad. You have to see me look good. Why? Because I need to be perfect. I need you to think I'm great because I'm actually insecure. And so pride will mask itself in insecurity. But look, it drives you away from people. It will ruin your relationships. They'll be destroyed. Pride is a relationship destroyer. And the biggest one it will attack is your marriage. And so um, we were driving from Tennessee to Georgia, or I'm sorry, Florida, one time, about a seven-hour trip. Now, how many of you, when you go on road trips, your spouse and you are a little bit different? Like, there's the, I just want to get there as fast as I can, people. And then there's the, hey, look at this. Maybe we should stop there along the way. And, oh, I looked on Yelp, and there's this really cool historical site along the way. Well, my wife is one of those, let's just get there. I just want to drive, get there, quick pit stops, get gas, get what you need. Let's get there. I want to get there as quickly as possible. Where me, on the other hand, I'm like, I, I found this really cool restaurant. Maybe we could stop there. I heard this place is really cool. I'll go in there and I'll spend 10 minutes trying to find a candy bar that I like in the convenience store. Like, Come on already. Let's just go. We got to get there. And so that happened one time. I was hungry. I was driving and I wanted to stop and eat. Now, I hate eating in the car because it's messy. Like your crumbs get all over you. They get all over the car. You get some ketchup on you inevitably because I always get something on me. If I try to eat in the car, you're driving with one hand. You got a foot up and you're trying to eat and it's just awkward, Right? And so I said, I don't want to eat in the car. I want to go in and sit down and eat. And she's like, well, I don't want to do that. And so we just 
We just butted heads, man. I was like, I'm not giving in to her. You know, submit, woman. Like, you know what the Bible says. <laughs> Come on. Those are the rules. You're not following them right now. I'm right. You're wrong. Let's eat inside. Come on. So we're getting into this huge argument inside the car. Somebody must have gotten nervous that I was going to hit her or something. They called the cops. We're sitting there arguing. This police officer taps on the window. Hello, officer. Put your arm around your wife. And uh, he's like, is there a problem here? I'm, no, sir. He's like, uh, what's going on here? I'm, well, um, we were just trying to decide if we should eat in Subway or take it with us. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, really. Humble. Humble, right? That, humility. I'm like, okay, baby, we can take it in the car. <laughs> but isn't that the way we get? It's my way. I'm right, you're wrong. We never say, I like your idea better. Or, you were right. And those terrible words, I'm... Sorry. Just can't get it out. Why? Because I got pride in my heart. I'm the God of me. Who are you to tell me I'm wrong? I'm right, I know better. He was driven away from people. He was made to be like a wild donkey and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. The second thing that we need to acknowledge is we need to acknowledge his ways. We need to acknowledge his ways. There's a proverb that says there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. It leads to destruction. Listen, I don't know about you, but there's so many times where I don't, this is, this is the problem. We don't pray. We don't seek God. We just make decisions for our life based on what looks good to us, what seems right to us. There's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to destruction. What does that mean? That means there's so many things in this life, whether it's a decision of, I should move here or do this. In fact, you know, Paul, again, he said, you know, don't say that we're going to go here and do this and do business here and, and for a year and then go there and do that. I'm going to go off to college. I'm going to move. I'm going to get a new house. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to get a new car. We make all these decisions with our life, and we don't acknowledge his ways. They're higher than my ways. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in and rely confidently. See, this is the difference between pride and holy confidence. I can be confident in my God. Pride is in me, that's fragile, that, that's broken, that doesn't work. It might work in some instances, but it's gonna lead to destruction. But I can take confidence in my God, just like I could, I could be like David when he showed up, this little boy, and all he's got is a sling and a couple of stones going against this giant of a man with a sword, a shield, and a spear. And he comes and he says, I don't come at you with a sword, a shield, and a spear, but what I do have and what I come at you, I come at you in the name of the Most High God. He's, he's the one that fights my battles. He's the source of my strength. And he could slay any giant. Look what it says when you do that and you don't rely on your own insight or understanding and in all your what? Your ways, 
you know and acknowledge and recognize him, what happens is he will make your path straight and smooth, removing obstacles that block your way. So you got a giant in front of you right now? You wanna know how to remove it? Follow his ways. Don't pick up the ways of the world. In fact, David tried to put on Saul's armor and he said, you know what, this doesn't fit. What fits is how God made me. Stop trying to be a copy of somebody else and just be you. Let God work in you. Let him work his purpose and his plan in your life because that's the only way you're gonna prosper when you follow his path for your life. Isaiah 55 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. Neither are my ways your ways. See, in our flesh, we don't naturally follow God. We don't naturally follow his ways. We gotta submit to it. We gotta acknowledge as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than my ways and his thoughts higher than my thoughts. I need his thoughts. When I get up every day, I need to think the way he thinks, not the way I think. I don't think right. I'll destroy my life if I keep thinking the way he's thinking. The last thing is that we need to acknowledge that he's the source. He's the source. Like right now, your life may not be the best it's ever been, but I guarantee you, you can think of some blessing on your life. Who's the source of that? Did you work hard enough? Did you build your kingdom? Are you building his kingdom? He's the source of my life. He's the source of anything good. He's the source of blessing. But too many times we get confused about who the source is. So I go through something I'm, I'm struggling with in my life. And instead of going to the source of comfort, I go to the source of food. And I look for other people to fill that need and be the source of my comfort. When I'm struggling and I'm depressed, instead of going to the God who provides joy, unspeakable, that doesn't mean my circumstances are good. It means that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear no evil. I can have joy in the middle of it. I can sit in the presence of my enemies and I can celebrate by having a feast, knowing that God is with me. That's joy. That's real joy. That's joy on the inside. That's a source that doesn't come from the outside. That's a source that can only come from the inside. Where do you go when you're in trouble? What's your source when you're feeling down? Do you run to things in this world? Do you run to the bottle? Do you pop a pill? Do you go on the internet? Do you look for some relief? This is the problem. When we get into these things, instead of staying under the mighty hand of God, we remove ourselves out of it because it's uncomfortable. And God says, no, 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 no. When you do that, you're taking my plan and my purpose out of your life. And you're not letting me do in you what I want to do in you. God's trying to do something in you this morning. Look at Daniel 4.34 and we'll wrap up. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, here's the key, I raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanctity was restored. We got to get our eyes off of the things of this world. 
We gotta get our eyes off of our problems. We gotta get our eyes off of ourselves. There ain't no self-help book. There ain't nothing that can help you, but you gotta raise your eyes towards heaven and look to the only source that can bring life to you, that can bring peace to you, that can bring joy. God gave a beautiful picture of this. He said this, he said, my people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have built for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. It's a picture that God is giving you and me that every time we try to build our lives, like we sang and worshiped God earlier, what are you building your life on? Are you building it on your own ways? Are your own rules? Are you the source of everything in your life that you think you need? Just like Eve in the garden, the temptation was, is God really for me? I would rather take my life into my own hands and be the God of me than surrender control of my life. And that's a little scary, but I'm telling you, it is absolutely the best decision that you can make. Because the things that we're building with our own hands for our own life, they, they become broken. They become destroyed. And water leaks out of them. Life leaks out. Jesus, on one of the last days, a festival that they were having, he stood up before them, recognizing there's people, just like there's people in the crowd right now, that there was people in the crowd that they were broken inside. You couldn't see it from the outside because people have too much pride for that. They look good on the outside. I'm happy, life is going good, but inside my life is broken. It's crumbling underneath me. It's being destroyed. My foundation is cracked. I'm leaking out life. And Jesus, feeling and sensing that there were people there that needed to come to him, he said in a loud voice, he said, come to me. All who are thirsty and all want to drink, all who need life, come to me. He says, all who receive me inside of them, they will be a fountain of living water, a spring of life that will begin to bubble up within them and it will bring them joy, it will bring them peace, it will bring them success and prosperity because life is bubbling up on the inside because God is on the throne of my heart. And I've surrendered control to Him. Can we do this as we close? I want to pray together. I think some of us, we need to posture ourselves in a place where we recognize, you know, I've been living too much for myself. And the God of me has been on the throne of my heart. And I want to remove any bit of pride in my life. So I want to ask you to do this as we pray. Would you do something? Would you be willing to bow? You could do that right where you're seated. You can get on your knees. You can come to the altar if you want. You can choose what you do. But would you just, when you bow, you posture yourself in a place. You're physically saying, God, I'm putting you under your hands. I'm putting my life in your hands. And I think for many of us, this is the posture that we need this morning. I'm giving you full control. The fact that we might even think for a moment, I don't need this right now, Pastor Lance, says that you need it more than you know. 
I think in the church, one of the things that we're most guilty of sometimes is our own self-righteousness. And this is for somebody else, not me. So right now, I wonder if you would pray this prayer with me. Jesus, forgive me for putting myself before you. I humble myself. I give you full control of my life. Say, God, I acknowledge that you rule, not me. I acknowledge that your ways are higher than my ways. And I acknowledge you're the source of every good thing in my life. Because of that, I praise you. I worship you. There may be some of you here that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. That you've been trying to do life on your, lo- your own. And just like me, as a 20-year-old broken man, my life was getting destroyed. It was getting destroyed by drugs, alcohol, brokenness that I had from when I was a kid. Some of you today, you need to make a decision to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. And there's some of you that need to recommit, resurrender your life to Jesus today, right now. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and I want all of us to pray this prayer together. And then at the end of it, if, if that's you, I want you to take one of those Connect cards out of the back, and I want you to mark that box, because you need to know this was the day I fully surrendered my life to Jesus. And I want you to drop it in one of those boxes on your way out, or take it back to the Connect Center. But pray this prayer with me. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me, as me. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Wash me clean. Forgive me of putting myself before you. I surrender my whole life to you and make myself available to be used by you for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now here's what we're gonna do now as we close our service. We're gonna worship Jesus together. You know the way that you show God, I worship you, is you say, God, I'm available. My whole life is available. I put myself on the altar and I say, God, use me however you wanna use me. Do whatever you wanna do in me. I'm available to you. I'm holding nothing back. So would you stand to your feet right now and just lift your arms to heaven and begin to worship Jesus, begin to praise him. The way you recognize and the way that you're grateful for what God has done in your life is to say, God, I praise you, I worship you. Thank you, God. Thank you that you hold my life in your hands. Thank you that all I have and all that I am is in you, God.